Good morning. It's great news about the, I call it VBS. I, I grew up calling it DVBS, you know, for the, the old school, because it's daily vacation Bible school, but now it's just vacation Bible school. So I mess with my kids and I say, you're going to DVBS. No, Dad, it's VBS. But um, that's wonderful news to have so many kids hear the gospel and to hear some that got saved. That's just, um, it's real encouraging and tremendous. And now we have this camps going up there this week, the boys' camps. So I'll be in prayer for Dave and um, David as the manager and all the other Claremontians that are up there from us uh, helping serve. So <clears throat> that'll be a good week. So. I was told I gotta end on time because I gotta take the kids up to camp, but I'm not gonna listen to my wife. I'm gonna, no. Turn with me to Matthew chapter four. We're gonna go over uh, another familiar story about our Savior. Um, one that you've read several times, you've heard been, probably been heard uh, people preach on it. So hopefully this morning I can just bring some of it uh, to your mind, to refocus and look at the temptation of our Lord Jesus Christ when he went into the wilderness. I think we've got a lot to learn here from here, and I've enjoyed studying it and meditating on it over the past several months. And um, it, it's amazing how as time goes on, you continue to read a passage and you keep gleaning more and more from it. You think that a simple story like this, he went into the wilderness, he was tempted, he was successful and he got out, that that would be it. But uh, with the depth of our Lord Jesus Christ and, and then little words that you just catch here and there, uh, keep adding to the richness of the meaning and um, the storyline. So I believe it's a tremendous example for us in, in today's day and age of part of the issue with the church is the surrounding world that entraps us, that uh, um, takes our desires. You know, the, the problem with the the church today is there's too much of the world that's coming to the church. There's too much tolerance for sin. There's too much um, acceptance of things that are unholy, that are unrighteous, that are opposed to God. And we're going to see how the Lord Jesus Christ uh, stood up to these temptations and um, was victorious over them. He's our example to follow by. I think today's day and age and in the church is, is we need to reexamine ourselves and look at our Innermost being, look at our hearts and where our desires are at. Are we really desiring for the things of God? Are we really desiring to shun sin and take up the mind of Christ and have his mind and to put these things of the world behind us? Or are we still enticed by them? Are we still trying to live Christianity and live the world? Temptation. According to Schofield, he has a note in here, and in the Schofield notes it says, temptation or testing, primarily meaning, the primary meaning is usually that of proving by testing or testing under trial, and less frequently an enticement or solicitation to evil. William McDonald stated this, the Greek word translated tempt or test has two meanings, to test or prove and to solicit to evil. The Holy Spirit tested the Holy Spirit tested or proved Christ. The devil sought to lure him to do evil. So you see a, a testing and a temptation that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to go through is one of proving of who he is. 
And we're going to get into this a little bit more as we go. So the first thing I want to do is we're going to read all three references um, that are recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So we can see, because each one gives us explanation of the whole scene, but they each have their own little area that they'll throw in. So we start off in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Verse 11. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Flip over to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1 and verse 12. Mark chapter 1 and verse 12 says, Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beast, and the angels ministered to him. Mark is the only one that records here, and we'll think about it later on if we have time, but that he was with the wild beast beast. Turn over to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 and verse 1. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you. And their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whoever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, 
to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Luke records a little something different at the very end, just to put in the back of your mind. The devil had ended every temptation. He departed from him until an opportune time. So Satan does. He will return at an opportune time to try to get you in your, your weakest state. What is the context? What is the background of where the Lord Jesus Christ is in his ministry? Here the Lord Jesus, you had John the Baptist, the forerunner, comes about and proclaims uh, the way of the Messiah, that the Christ was coming. The Lord Jesus Christ came, and Jesus was baptized by John. And here you have probably one of the highlights of his, the start of his ministry, of where heaven was opened up. And the Father's voice was heard, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The very start with the, the Holy Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Immediately, Mark uses the word. And then in, in Luke here, chapter 4, it says, Then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit, as well as Matthew records, he was led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness. Jesus disappears. He's gone. So many things we can sit here and meditate on other than just to throw this in because of the VBS that just went on in the camps that even in the highlights, even when you're so close to heaven as the Lord Jesus was when he got baptized, Satan's going to come and temptation must come. That you got to be ready. That with the blessings comes the enemy right behind to try to destroy the work that the Lord is doing. So the question I have is, why did Jesus go into the wilderness? We know who, or Jesus knows who he is, the Son of God. He didn't have to prove anything. He didn't have to go and prove to himself that he can withstand the temptation. Satan knew who he was. There's no doubt within his mind, other than I believe Satan truly believes, the devil believes that he can really trick Jesus up. So why did he go? Why did he enter into that wilderness? It has no redemptive value. It was for you and me to give us an example, to show us who he is. So this is what I want to look at this morning is why did Jesus go into this wilderness? What lessons can we learn? What, what can we draw out of this context of him going out that the Spirit of God will lead him into the wilderness? There's an important lesson here for us to learn, and hopefully, by the Spirit of God, through the few words I say, but mostly by the Spirit of God, as you read this, that the Spirit of God will take your mind and go and think about this wilderness and um, to glean something from it. There's three things, I believe, that uh, we're going to look at of why he went in to this temptation, why he went away into the wilderness. The first thing is because to show that Christ will not fail us as our federal head. The second thing is, is to show us how to handle temptation. And the third thing is, 
is that so he can demonstrate that we do have a high priest who can identify with our temptations, that he can sympathize with us. He knows what it's like. The first point, Christ will not fail us as our federal head. Adam in the Garden of Eden, we know, and I'm not going to turn there because everybody knows the story, is he represented mankind. And when he went and Satan came and deceived Eve, and he partook of that fruit as well, he fell. And when he fell, all of mankind inherited the sin nature of which Adam brought about. And then you have the imputed sin as well. But he was our representative. And see, when he failed... We all failed in Adam. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 20. Verse 20 says, But now Christ is risen from the dead, has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all should be made alive. But each one of in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. Look over at verse 45. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a life, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is of the Lord, is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also those who are heavenly. As we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. And if you read on in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 and so on, we see the comparison between Adam and how sin was brought into this world through Adam. Through the death of one man, death came to all. So what is he trying to show us here? He's trying to show us that Jesus will not fail us. Just as Adam failed us in the garden. And if you track the history of Israel, everywhere through the history of Israel, you have man failing. You have Israel coming out from Egypt into the wilderness. How many years were they in the wilderness wandering? Forty years. How many days did Jesus fast for? Forty days. And you follow through the New Testament, how many times you have 40, 40, 40 used throughout the, the scriptures. And it's a time of testing. And it's interesting that the Lord, every verse he quotes from, in these three temptations, he quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. He's showing that as Israel failed in their temptations, as they're testing through the wilderness wandering, he's showing them that he went through the same stuff in those 40 days, yet he doesn't fail. Jesus Christ will not fail us, ever. This is important. It's really important. Because if he could fail us 
then, he could fail us now, and if he can fail us now, perhaps throughout eternity he fails us, and what happens to our salvation? We had to have the perfect one come down and represent mankind. He took upon the head of mankind. He represented man. He had to become man when he came down from earth. Yes, he was God come in the flesh, but he's also man. In order to represent us, in order to die for us, he had to be the son of man. And there he went to the cross and died for us, and he took our place and represented humanity, that all those that believe in him shall inherit eternal life, shall possess everlasting life. Salvation is through no other name but Jesus Christ, because he's the perfect one, because he can't fail us, and he won't fail us. And this is what the whole 40 days and the temptation is trying to show to us, is that Jesus will not fail us. We had a gold party one year, several years ago. A buddy of mine wanted to buy gold, and it's a big thing. You take your old gold jewelry, your necklaces, your rings, whatever you come, and, and uh, turn it in, and they'll, they'll give you a certain uh, amount per ounce or whatever it is. But before, he doesn't just look at it and say, yeah, I'm going to take this gold, and based upon your word, he puts it through the test. And he puts some liquid on there, whatever it is, scratches it on some pad, and if it leaves a mark, it's not gold. He tests that gold. And he tests it again and again and again because he doesn't want the imitation. He doesn't want fool's gold. He doesn't want something that I can look at and that's just painted yellow. He wants real gold. And the test that he puts the gold through shows that it's true gold. And the same thing with the Lord Jesus, that he is the Son of God. He went into that wilderness to be tested, to show that he is the Son of God, the Lord from heaven that has come down and took on flesh and blood. And that tree truly is the Messiah. He truly is the Christ. And he will truly lead his people. What a tremendous Savior we have. The next thing is how to handle temptations. And his immediate response is to quote back Scripture to us or to quote back scripture to, to the devil. He's going to show us how to handle it, what to do when Satan comes about and he tempts us. Jesus was hungry. He was starving, it says. He was literally, his body was weak. You go 40 days without food, you're weak. But he believed in the word of God so much so that Satan couldn't get through it's not just the mere quoting out a verse that when Satan comes to you, that's some magical thing because the devil will turn around and quote scripture back at you. It's not that he's afraid of it. It's not some magical potion that we just throw out. But it's when you say something and you truly believe it in your heart and Satan knows you're not going to turn from it, is when he flees from you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. We'll get into this a little bit more later on. Turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. In verse 17. This is tremendous because um, we have a high priest who can identify with us, that knows what we're going through, that knows what it's like to be tested and to go through trials. Verse 17 says, Therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren, 
that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Turn over to uh, chapter 4 and verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have a tremendous high priest that not only did Jesus show us how to go through temptation, but he helps us to this day. He intercedes on behalf of us. When you go over to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12 and 13, it talks about no one's going to be tempted beyond what you can handle because the Lord Jesus knows what you can handle. He knows the testing that you go through. He knows that you're going to be able to make it through. And not only make it through, it says that he's going to give the way of escape. He knows. He knows all things. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows our tolerances. He knows what we can take. He knows when it's too much. And he's there for us. That in time of need, we can cry out to him. And he doesn't say, just buck up. He sympathizes with you. He understands. He's compassionate towards you. His actual words here are, is a merciful and faithful high priest. He shows mercy to us. He knows because he's gone through it when he walked on this earth. He knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to have sin all around you and the pressures of it. He knows everything that we've gone through, yet he is without sin. He is victorious. And we're going to get into that a little bit more why he is. He, <clears throat> but he can identify with us. doesn't matter what we're going through. It doesn't matter how tough life gets. We have a merciful and a faithful high priest that is always there every step of the way, carrying you along, giving you the strength, giving you the power, giving you the way of escape. And he's there with you. Open ears. He's never too busy to hear you. He's never too busy to talk to you. He's never too consumed with heaven, sitting at the, the, the right hand of the Father on high, to say, shh, one of my... Uh, Servants is speaking. He'll quiet heaven to hear your voice. And he'll unleash the powers of heaven to answer your prayers. That's how much he loves us. He never fall on deaf ears. He always wants to help you and strengthen you and carry you. He's our high priest. And he's there for us every step of the way with mercy, with grace, with compassion, helping us along. The big question that comes up when we hit this subject of the temptation of Christ that has been uh, some Bible teachers will teach is that could Christ have sinned? And the question we're going to look at is why Christ could not sin. But there's Bible teachers out there and there's some people with just not knowing have said, oh yeah, I think Jesus could have sinned. And they go along the, the, the argument, the reasoning of this, and this is human logic, is it's not a legitimate temptation if Christ could not sin. 
If he's tempting them and he can't fall into sin, then it's not legitimate. And then they say, because of these verses I just read, that in order for him to identify with us, he needs to have the capability to sin. Now, we don't believe that. This is man's wisdom, man's reasoning, and everything else. Um, We're going to get into why Christ did not sin, and why he could not sin, and why he cannot sin then, now, or forever. There's several, there's three reasons why I put down, and there's probably more. The first one is because Christ is God, and God cannot be tempted. Turn over to James chapter 1. You see, the Bible doesn't, and we can't either, and sometimes theologians try to separate out the deity from the humanity of Christ and think that all of a sudden Jesus acts in his deity, and then all of a sudden he acts in his humanity, and... and um, where he's sleeping in the boat, that's his humanity, and then he rises up and commands the, the, the winds to be still, well, that's his deity. But he's all, he's one person with two distinct natures of one of divine and one of uh, humanity. In James chapter 1, it gives us some insight into God and to ourself. Verse 13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil nor does he himself tempt anyone. God has nothing to do with temptation. Some will say in the Garden of Eden that God uh, was involved in the temptation in the fall of man. From this scripture alone, you can see God had nothing to do with temptation. He allows Satan to go on and test. He allows us to go through testing, but he himself is not implementing any temptation or testing or any of that sort, but he uses and allows the world and Satan to test us, to mature us, to go through stuff. And as we find from Job and throughout the scriptures, that Satan has access to, to heaven right now. He's going to and from. He, he's the accuser of the brethren. As Job, we learn that he goes and he cannot touch Job without the permission of the Lord. And what does the Lord say? Okay, you can have this of Job, but that's it. And um, I, I wonder... What conversation, what place when Jesus was there and if Satan went to heaven and talked to God? You going to let me at him? He'll fail. I got at him. I've gotten your servants in the past. Let me at him. Father probably said, have at him. You're not going to get him. Have at it. And he came and offered him everything he could. He probably thought this out the best way he could, even use scripture and, and couldn't even touch him. But. So through temptation, he has to go through God in order to touch us. But God can't be tempted, nor does he have anything to do with temptation. The second point is that Christ was completely consumed with pleasing his father. Christ was completely consumed with pleasing his Father. For Christ to fall into sin and to disappoint his Father, you can't even imagine that. that, that, that that's an unthinkable thing. The, the, the mind of Christ and the mind of the Father are so as one that the Lord Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father do, and I and the Father are one. We're one. I have come to reveal the Father. 
but he is so consumed with pleasing his Father that he will go to the cross of Calvary, face the wrath of God, face the wrath of men, face everything he has to face in order to please his Father. Not my will, but thine be done. Is this how we run our lives? Are we so consumed with the, the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we think twice when it comes around things of sin or areas of, of failing our Lord? See, the Lord Jesus would never let those thoughts even enter into his mind. Wouldn't even second guess it. Wouldn't even put a, a thought to it. That's the way we got to live our lives like the Lord Jesus. So consumed with God, so consumed with the Father, so consumed with the mind of God that, that we get the mind of Christ and that all of our thinking, all of our actions, everything we do should emulate who God is, that we're part of the family of God. When I was, to my shame, my senior year, um, I got busted for ditching school. Uh, I, I went and took off with some friends, and we went to a friend's house, and there we were going to party and ditch school. Um, a neighbor called the police. The police showed up at uh, the house. Next thing I know, we're out in the backseat of a police car. You know what? When it came down to it, they took us back to the, uh, to the, the school and gave us over to our counselors and everything else. I'll tell you what, you, you could have, uh, and they did, they suspended me from school for five days. Um, I didn't care about that. You could have taken away, you could have beat me, you could have done whatever you wanted to do to me. I would have loved to take that punishment over facing my dad. And the disappointment that my father had when he comes to that school to pick me up. It's not about the punishment. It's about that I failed my father and my mother and grieved them. That's the way we should be as Christians when it comes to the family of God. That we should be so consumed with the love of the Father that that's all we want to do is please him. Nothing I want to do do I want to bring shame, to bring dishonor to his name, but constantly be in a state of, is this going to please the Father? Is this going to be in obedience to him? Am I living for him? Am I bringing glory and honor to the Son and to the Father? I think if we start thinking that way, we would see a change perhaps in the church. Everywhere we go, the Father is with us. And we know from Scripture you can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. The next point is, is that Christ had no desire to sin. Christ has no desire to sin. Back in James chapter 1, if you kept your place there, we're going to read on because a few verses here gives us further inf information and detail into what happens when we're tempted and we're, we fall into sin. Verse 14 says, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. 
remember that, brings forth death. When we indulge in sin, the end result will always be death. But notice the desire. You've got to have several things for sin to take place. And number one, you've got to have a desire. Number two, you've got to have opportunity. And when you go and those two meet up and you have opportunity and you give in to it, then you have sin. But see, the difference between the Lord Jesus Christ is he doesn't have a fallen nature. He doesn't have the old nature. He only has a perfect divine nature. There is not the desire to fall into that sin. Now, if I can explain it like this, I'm going to use a story from Rod and Cindy. Um, I apologize if I embarrass you, Rod. But several years ago, there was uh, a great deal on chicken. It was a fantastic deal. It was, it was the best deal he could possibly find. So he had to rush down before Yosemite and buy a couple of chickens. He brought them home. And then, have you ever heard of slow cooking chicken? <laughs> well, Rod decided to try to slow cook these chickens in the trunk of the car. So Amy went over there to water the plants, and she smells something that smelled rotten. So she has a weak stomach, so she calls up mom and dad, and dad went over there. And like any good detective, he follows his nose and the flies. Goes into the garage and finds, and this is in July, in the middle of the summer, chicken that's rotten. Um, so he ends up taking it out. To, to make the long story short, it ruined the car. It was the most expensive chicken Rod's ever bought because <laughs> I don't know what the car costs, but uh, there goes the great deal. Here's the reason why I bring this up, and I want to try to draw somewhat of an analogy so we can identify what the, the Lord Jesus views of sin. Now, say he comes back from Yosemite, and he keeps the chicken, and then he invites you over to his house, and you sit down for a meal, and he brings this rotten chicken to you to eat. And you sit down, and here it is served out in a nice shiny platter, this rotten chicken. How many of you would eat it? I mean, you would stay in the house with that smell. It's funny, because something like that, you would not even think twice about indulging in. This is just a taste of how the Lord Jesus sees sin and sees the temptation that Satan is offering him. It's appalling. It stinks. It doesn't even enter into his mind. That stench of that chicken sitting there you couldn't even stomach and eat it. And if we truly had the mind of God and we truly thought like the Lord Jesus and allowed our, our divine nature to take over, we would view sin as this. He wouldn't tolerate it. You would be absolutely disgusted. And not only so does the Lord Jesus disgusted by sin and the temptation, he wants to destroy it with the righteousness of God. But because of his long suffering, his patience, he doesn't. God cannot stand sin. Hell is for the lake of fire was created to destroy sin and those that are rejectors of Christ. Yet we allow it piped into our houses. Yet we tolerate it on the TVs and in jokings at work and everything else, stuff that should be like that chicken appalling to you. Stink. 
This is the problem with us Christians, I believe, today, and myself included. I got too much world in me. I got too much of this world in me that I don't see sin as Christ sees sin. We tolerate it. We even laugh at it at times. I know that there's, there's programs on the TV that you, you talk to some Christians and there's homosexuals on there and they say, but they're funny. These two guys living together are funny. They're making jokes. To God, that's that stinking chicken. No matter if it's that or fornication or adultery or lying, any type of uncleanliness stinks to God. And a child of God should have no part of it. Church has lost its power because we've allowed the world to influence us and come in. Lord God is a holy God. He's never changed his standards. His standards is one based upon his nature of who he is. And he's not going to change them for you or I. It's still the same. He's a holy God. And he wants us to live holy. He's given us all the capability to live a holy and a godly life. You see, this desire that, that, that the, the lack of desire that Christ has, God has done within our new nature to give to us. He's given us a new nature, a divine nature, a nature that doesn't want anything to do with sin, a nature that is appalled by sin, a nature that is disgusted by sin. We had surgery when we got saved. We were born again, and he placed this new nature within us. The problem is we still have the old nature that lusts after the things of this world. And there's a battle within us. And if we give over to the new nature, if we feed that one, and we stay in the word of God, and we abide in Christ, what happens? The Christian doesn't sin, because he's following Christ. The minute you go to that old nature and you tap into that side, you fall into sin, and it's a constant battle. Not teaching some type of perfection here. The new nature doesn't want anything to do with sin. The seed of God lives within you. The divine nature, Peter writes, is placed within you. He's given us the Holy Spirit of God. His Spirit dwells within us. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We are part of the family of God. So now we need to walk like children of God. We follow after God. We emulate him. You see, Jesus didn't need law. He didn't need anything to, to, to teach him or to guide him in the way of righteousness. Jesus acted who he was because of who he was. So should a Christian. We need to act as who we are because we are children of the living God and we represent him. We're part of the family of God. And as a family, we represent the Father. And God wants us to have that nature, that characteristic as a family member. That's what he wants us to do and to represent him. The nature of Christ has no attraction to sin. I want to read something that uh, William McDonald wrote that I thought is very relevant to this particular subject of dealing with uh, sin and the temptation of Christ. He says, There is a deep mystery connected with the temptation of our Lord. Inevitably, the question arises... Could he have sinned? If we answer no, then we must face the further question. How could it be a real temptation if he could not yield? If we answer yes, we are faced with the problem of how could, <clears throat> problem of how God incarnate could sin. 
There's the first importance to remember that Jesus Christ is God and that God cannot sin. It is true that he is also human. However, to say that he could sin as a human but not as God is to build a case without scriptural foundation. The New Testament writers wrote of the sinlessness of Christ on several occasions. Paul wrote that he knew no sin. Peter says that he committed no sin. And John says, in him there is no sin. Like us, Jesus could be tempted without. Like us, Jesus could be tempted from without. Satan came to him with suggestions contrary to the will of God. But unlike us, he could not be tempted from within. No sinful lusts or passions could originate, originate in him. Furthermore, there was nothing in him that would respond to the devil's seduction. He references John chapter 14, verse 30. Despite Jesus' inability to sin, the temptation was very real. It was possible for him to be faced with enticements to sin, but it was morally impossible for him to yield. He could only do what he saw the Father doing, John chapter 5, verse 19. And it is inconceivable that he would ever see the Father sinning. He could do nothing on his own authority, John 5, 30, and the Father would never give him the authority to yield to temptation. The purpose of temptation was not to see if he would sin, but to prove that even under tremendous pressures, he would do nothing but obey the word of God. If Jesus could sin as a human being, we are faced with the problem of his still being a human in heaven. Could he still sin? Obviously, no. There's tremendous application for us in this. Tremendous application that we can learn from the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read you this verse. It says, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 6 says, Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has never seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin, because he has been born of God. In closing here, real quick, you didn't actually get to the temptations. I'm sorry about that, but we set up the, the, the background for it. But know this, and you can read it on your own. Satan's going to come with three plans of attack. And it's kind of like if you're in a football game, he, he only had three offensive plays. Or if it's in uh, baseball, the pitcher only has three different pitches. And that is the lust of the flesh, which refers to such sensual body, bodily appetites as proceed from within our evil nature. Lust of the eyes applies to such evil desires as may arise from what we see, or the pride of life is an unholy ambition for self-display and self-glory. And these are found in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. This is Satan's three ways of attack. He's going to hit you with one of these three ways. And if you follow the temptation, and even go back into the garden, you can link all three of these back to the Lord Jesus. And the first one, Satan challenged the Lord to turn stone to bread. Now, he was hungry. He was really hungry. Lust of the flesh. And then the, the Satan took him up to the top of the mountain. 
Show them all the kingdoms of this world. All this stuff is yours. I'll give it to you if you just bow down and worship me. Lust of the eyes. And he took them on top of the temple, the pinnacle, to throw yourself off of here. Pride of life. He has nothing to demonstrate to, to, uh, to Satan. He refutes each one with Scripture. James chapter 4, verse 7 says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And one of the key things I want to remind you at the very end that Mark and Matthew record is that Jesus needed to be strengthened. How much more do we? The angels came and ministered to him. How much more do we need to be strengthened? As you go through temptations, as you go through trials of life, as you go through all this stuff, and this is the whole design for the church, is to come and to be strengthened and re-energized for Christ and to live for him and to put off this world and to live a life that is sanctified and holy to God. Let's bow in prayer. Our gracious God and Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for Lord Jesus, our Savior, who went into the wilderness to be tempted and tested for our sake, so that we can learn from him that we have a high priest that can sympathize with us, that knows what we go through. That Father, he stood up to the, the, the trials that were, that were before him, and he was victorious to the end. We thank you for him. Help us as we walk through this world and the filth that's all around us, Father, that we would put on the word of God, the full armor of God, and that we would stand against the wiles of the devil. Bless this word. Bless your, uh, the saints here, Father. We just pray for each and every one of them. Pray for the camp as everyone drives up. Keep them safe. And bless this week as Dave speaks and, and all the workers that are up there. In the name of the Lord, just we pray. Amen.